So we will be uh, in just a few minutes or just a few moments continuing our study in the Gospel of John. And I can't believe it. We are already uh, going to wrap up chapter three here shortly uh, at the end of the day. So uh, we're already already taking a nice chunk out of the book of John. And uh, Gina, are you still with us? Are you able to uh, pray us in this evening? Here we go. All right. Thank you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. And God, we just pray for your Holy Spirit to come and to bless us with your presence and that every heart and every life will be changed by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Uh, and for those of you who do not know, that is my biological sister. So she's not just my sister in Christ. She also shares my bloodline. Don't hold that against her. Um, and she is all the way, she's about 2,000 miles away from me. So it is cool that um, that we can jump on this this Zoom and be together uh, virtually. It's It really is a blessing. And we will thank God for it as long as we can do this. All right. <clears throat> so as I usually do, I want to lead in um, to tonight's message um, with something that'll tie in. And and this is a this is an article that I came across from Inc. Magazine. I, I, I do spend a lot of time looking at business-related articles because I do a lot of, um, I mean, I'm a business consultant. Um, and so this particular one caught my attention because I think it applies not only to what we're going to talk about in the scripture tonight, but also to the launching of our church. You know, we're essentially a, uh, a plant church. We're just getting started. We, we're literally trying to build all our um, you know, all our services out and all the things that we're going to be doing. So I'm going to read uh, uh, a condensed version. What I did is I kind of took the highlights out of this article, and I want to read them to you real quick. This, this article was called Seven Practical Ways to Keep Your Team Working Toward the Same Goal. The subtitle is, Does It Sometimes Seem Like the People in Your Company Are Working Against Each Other? Here's How to Keep Them Aligned for Real Productivity. All right, so the opening of this article said that success in today's rapidly changing and highly competitive business environment requires a total alignment between the needs of each business function and the priorities of all team members. If you see signs of internal misalignment, such as too many meetings, overload of emails, or lack of engagement at any level, now is the time to take action before customers and employees both sense it and move on. And they summarize alignment um, as an embodiment an embodiment of the seven initiatives I'm going to read to you. Number one, define a unified focus and direction shared by all. You must have a clearly defined and communicated company purpose with buy-in from everybody. Number two, measure execution on a single strategy. This is amazing, especially if you're in business, listen to this. Nine out of 10 businesses fail to implement their strategic plan. You must provide your team with constant training and support on what good execution looks like and a follow-up process. And for those of you who are just jumping on and you're wondering why I'm doing business stuff, I promise this will tie into the scripture in a moment. Number three, improve reporting structure, vertical alignment, okay? All too often, employees pay lip service to their management but execute their own agenda due to a lack of understanding or disagreements. Number four, enable cross-functional collaboration, aka horizontal alignment. This type of collaboration prevents silos from developing in the organization, which often work against each other and certainly take more time to make decisions. Number five, give people the right skills to deliver, aka competency alignment. Delegation doesn't work if the people are not qualified to deliver. Number six, assure team alignment of values with company values. Misalignment of values quickly erodes the trust that your customers, supplier, and employees have in the business and culminates with the loss of all of the above. And number seven, reward people for desired results, aka compensation alignment. 
when people see that their hard work is not recognized or appreciated, their motivation decreases and eventually the best move on, leaving you with a weaker and weaker team. And they finish out this article by saying the biggest challenge for most companies is turning even a great vision into reality. If all your people and processes are not totally aligned, energies are wasted, and things move too slowly to keep up with the market and competitors, the future of your career and your company depends on it. All right. So from that article, what it reminded me of um, was the analogy of horses. You know, we, we talk about engines, we talk about horsepower. Uh, and of course, long before there were automobiles, they literally used horses. And I don't know if you know this or not, but when you watch the old Western movies and you see multiple horses bridled together, in other words, you see a wagon being pulled by two horses. I don't know if you know this or not, but two horses can pull more weight together than three horses can all put together on their own, all right? So with that sort of in mind, let's see how this article is relevant to today's scripture and what we're going to talk about tonight. Right, we are going to be in John chapter 3. Again, we're going to be finishing out the chapter. We're going to start in verse 22, and we're going to go through the end. All right, first, this section. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John was also, also was baptizing at Anion near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. All right. So first of all, backing up, I think it's really important for us to realize that Jesus himself gives us some insight into sort of his secret sauce here for developing disciples. Because clearly Jesus is the greatest disciple maker this world has ever known. And in verse 22, we get to see that because he spent some time with them. I believe this is one of the most important pieces of discipleship, spending time with your disciples. Um, Luke 9.23 says, and talking about Jesus, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. See, Christianity is not a weekly endeavor. Going to church on Sunday is for the training of the saints, not for the work of the saints. I'm going to say that one more time. Sunday, what we call church, is not, um, is not for the work of the saints. It is for the training of the saints. So what does that mean? <clears throat> the Great Commission, we're talking about the Great Commission right now, sharing the good news and making disciples, aka the reason you're here on earth, okay, is simple. Bring people the good news, and once they believe, believe train them to make disciples who make disciples. All right, the primary purpose not the sole purpose, but the primary purpose of gathering together like we are right now to learn more about God's word at church is for the pastor, in this case me, to train the disciples that God has entrusted him with. Tonight, that's you, so that you can then take this training out in the world and make more disciples. Make sense? All of that takes time. And time is our most precious commodity. Disciple-making takes time. Your time, my time, our time. And it's important for us to realize that disciple-making is not just pointing someone to a church or to a program or even to the Bible itself. 
Disciple making is walking alongside others, training them in the ways of God. Okay, I hope that makes sense. Uh, and I want to make one other quick note. Don't miss the other piece of this passage. While we are called to disciple others, we are also called to be discipled. And that means spending time with someone who is further along in their faith than we are. And if that weren't enough, it also means spending time with Jesus himself. Okay, so your week just got a whole lot busier, didn't it? All right, um, I'm going to go back to that verse in Luke, and I'm going to read it one more time. But this time I'm going to add verse 24 to it. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Now, Jesus is saying that to be a disciple of Christ, to be a disciple of his, our lives must be dedicated to his work and his will daily. This is not something we do for half a day on Sunday. This is something that happens every single day. And in fact, it's going to take some time, and it's going to take a considerable amount of time. And even more than that, it's going to take effort, and it's going to take direction. So the hopes and dreams that we have, if they don't line up with God's will for our own lives, If we're going to truly be his disciples, they'll be lost. Because if we're going to truly take up our cross daily, those dreams, if they don't line up with God's will for our life, must die. That's why he said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will save it. Okay? So I have great news for you, though. Because that doesn't sound like very much fun. None of us want to lose our dreams. None of us want to give up those things that we are passionate about, right? But I have great news. God's plan for your life is way, way better than the plan you had for your life. And his plan will have a permanent impact on the entire world and on his kingdom. Not because of who you are, but because of how awesome he is. He created a plan for you that is perfect for exactly how he created you. All right. So the downside is there are things in your life that you're going to have to stop pursuing. The good news is the things that God will give you a passion for will be far greater than the things you gave up. So I want you to now ask yourself some questions. These are some questions for you to ponder. All right. The first question is, who are you discipling? Who is newer in their walk with Jesus than you that you're spending time with specifically? Not, not just spending time with because you enjoy that person, but spending time with specifically to help them be a better disciple, to help them be a better Christ follower. And then, and by the way, this applies to all of us, including me, who is discipling you? I promise you I have mentors in my life, okay? Um, and I have more than one. There are plenty of folks who are far ahead in their spiritual life than I am. And quite frankly, I kind of have mine compartmentalized. There are people who, like I have, a, I have one particular person um, who has been a pastor for a very long time. And so as it pertains to being a pastor, he's one of my mentors. I have another person who is um, sort of a, how do I interact between business and my faith? And how do I put that together? And that's a separate mentor. I have another person who, quite frankly, is far in front of me in terms of evangelism. And he's my evangelistic mentor, okay? It doesn't have to be just one person, but there should be at least one person who is discipling you, right? So who is that? And the third question, and it's the most important question, how much time are you spending alone with Jesus? Even Jesus spent time alone with God the Father. And that 
if you think about it, that sort of blows our mind. Here is God spending time alone with God. It's that important. Jesus did it every day. He spent alone time. Over and over, we see in the scriptures, Jesus isn't around. Where is Jesus? Oh, he's off in the woods, spending time with God the Father. It's important. And I'm the first one to admit it's hard, for me at least. I am so busy. I got so many, so many things happening in my life. And the first thing I have a tendency to skip is alone time with God. Um, but I have learned that that is the dumbest thing for me to skip, honestly. Um, when I refocus and spend time with him first, it seems like all the rest of my priorities will fall into place. All right, moving on. We see here that while the ministry of John the Baptist primarily preceded Jesus, in other words, happened before him, um, there was at least a brief period of time where there's an overlap and there's a crossover. There's like a passing of the torch from, from John the Baptist out baptizing and Jesus baptizing. And that's where we catch this story is right when the two stories overlap. All right. Um, and there's an interesting uh, kind of communication here that happens. There's an interesting piece of this story where some of John's disciple and a Jew um, have an argument about ceremonial washing. And we're not led into exactly what that um, looked like or exactly what they talked about. But as I was uh, preparing for the message tonight, I, I found a, uh, it was actually a sermon by a pastor right here in Richardson, Texas, a guy named Bob Deffenbaugh. And, and he presents a hypothetical possibility to what this might have looked like. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share that with you right now. Speaking of the argument between the Jew and John's disciples, we are not told what is said in this dispute. For the purpose of illustration and clarification, allow me to suggest one possible scenario. John's disciples encounter a Jew and ask him if he wishes to be baptized. He responds that he's not interested. He's convinced that the Jewish ceremonial washings are more effective. Unwilling to leave it at this, the disciples begin to debate with him. Seeing that, that he is not making any progress, the Jew may have put the icing on the cake with a statement something like, well, what are you so dogmatic about? Don't you know that Jesus is baptizing in the same way that you are? And far more people are going to him than to you folks. Why don't you just give it up? John's disciples return to him frustrated and upset, not with the Jew, but with Jesus, catch that, okay, in this dialogue. They're not upset with the Jew, they're upset with Jesus. They are distressed that Jesus and his disciples are being more successful than they are. In fact, they almost seem distressed at John the Baptist, irritated that he has not done anything to remedy this situation. After all, it was John who pointed the crowds to Jesus in the first place, and he who had greatly contributed to the success of Jesus, at least from their eyes. Listen to the anger and frustration in their words to their master. Rabbi, the one who was with you on the other side of the Jordan River, about whom you testified, see, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but for those of us who have been Christians for a while, especially those of us who have gone to church for a while, um, we've probably gotten involved in a ministry or two or 10 or 100, right? And as we have done that, some of those ministries we are very passionate about. Maybe it was feeding the homeless. Maybe it was, uh, you know, maybe it was uh, administrating a class. Maybe it was, um, you know, leading a Bible study. It could have been um, greeting people, to do whatever it was, Right and you're passionate about it, but at some point that ministry became your ministry and it stopped being Jesus' ministry. Have you ever been there? Have you ever experienced that? I know I have, where quite frankly, I'm no longer doing what I'm doing for the glory of God or to lead people to Jesus. I'm kind of doing it for me, right? And that's, that's a dangerous place to be. And that's where... John the Baptist's disciples were, at least on this day, right? They've completely lost track. And I, I can imagine hanging out with John the Baptist, because what we know about him 
he was colorful. He was a guy who wore camel's hair. He wore a, a leather belt. He ate bugs as his primary food. He ate locusts and honey. Okay, this was not the common diet at the time. This guy stood out in a crowd. And I have to imagine, um, and I have to be careful because my voice is loud and it carries and I have to keep it toned down. I have a feeling John the Baptist's voice probably carried a lot. And I don't think he was shy at all. Um, scripture tells us that he was um, hard to ignore. Let's put it that way. So I have to imagine that his disciples, those people hanging around him, heard his message. I'm paving the way for the Messiah. I'm helping you get yourself right because God's about to show up. But then once John points out, John the Baptist points out, hey, there he is. There's the Messiah. There's Jesus. Now his followers are like, hey, this Jesus guy is getting more attention than we are. Clearly their hearts had changed at some point, right? Um, and it wasn't about Jesus anymore. It was about them or about John. And um, the good news is here that John had it right in his heart. John the Baptist um, uh, had his priorities straight in his heart right. So let's kind of move on now in the scripture and see how John the Baptist replies. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. All right? So first, John the Baptist reminds them of what he has been saying all along. This is not about me. This is about the Messiah. It's all about Jesus. All right? John's baptism would have been worthless if he had not made his purpose clear. Now here's where this flips to us. In the same way, if you do a good deed today, perhaps, I don't know, pay for someone's groceries at the grocery store. You see someone who's struggling financially, you feel persuaded, you feel compelled. Oh, I want to help this person. You know, God puts that on your heart. You pay for their groceries, maybe. But you don't tell them why you did it. You don't tell them that Jesus is the one who compelled you to do what you did? What good was it? It may feed them for the day or the week, but it gets them no closer to salvation or understanding how much Jesus loves them. All right, people need to understand that Jesus is the reason you are loving them. God calls us to love, but he calls us also to explain why we love, all right? And John 3, uh, 30 is really one of my favorite verses because it really helps remind me of who I am and who God is. He must become greater. I must become less. This applies to all of us. Our lives are not our own. It's not about us. Okay, And our lives are supposed to be all about Jesus. But this is really important. Why? Why are they supposed to be all about Jesus? And the reason is only Jesus, only Jesus has the power to save. We can't even save ourselves. We can't get anyone to heaven. Jesus is the only way. So our lives must be about him and not about us. Oh, and by the way, if you're a Christian, if you've already crossed that bridge, if you have already received the saving grace of Jesus, that means that you were destined for an eternity in the fires of hell, all right? As much as we don't want to believe in a hell, hell is a real place. But now, because of what he has done for you, you're now bound for an eternity in heaven, the place where there are no tears and the streets are made of gold. 
okay? That alone, if, if God did nothing else for us, that alone should be more than enough motivation for us to give every moment of every day for the rest of our lives to him and never complain about our circumstances again because we're only going to be here on earth for a little while. And a million years from now, I can't imagine we will have much use of even remembering what these few years on earth were like, okay? So another question for you to ponder, for you to consider, are you waiting and listening for the bridegroom? In other words, are you focused every day, all day on Jesus, or are you distracted by the world around you? Now, I'm not saying that you don't have to take care of your family, you don't have to work, you don't have to do all these other things. Absolutely, you do. But you can do your work and be focused on Jesus. You can eat your lunch and be focused on Jesus. You can be prayerful, you can spend time with him, get to know him, and do all the things that, of course, we must do to live out our daily lives. But are you focused on him all day, or are you distracted some of the time or most of the time? Something to think about. All right. <clears throat> Picking up in verse 31. This is still John the Baptist speaking. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. All right, the message in verse 31 is pretty simple and, and very clear. Jesus is God, and he's the boss. Right? That's the message. And, oh, by the way, we're not God, and we're not the boss, not even of our own lives. Now, here's the simple truth. This is, in my opinion, the number one reason that people don't want to believe in Jesus. And, and by the way, there are lots of people who don't want Jesus to be real. They don't want heaven to be real. They don't want, they certainly don't want hell to be real. They don't want to believe in Jesus because they want to be their own God doing whatever they want, right? They want to work where they want to work. They want to live where they want to live and they want to drive what they want to drive. And quite frankly, they want to sleep with who they want to sleep with. Um, I was flipping channels the other day uh, on TV. I, I can't remember exactly what I was looking for, but <clears throat> I was changing channels and I happened on um, some kind of a news program where an interviewer was interviewing someone and the question that was asked caught my attention. So I stopped and uh, I, I, I had seen this interviewer before. I don't, I don't know what her name was, honestly, uh, but she's someone that must be popular because I'd seen her face before. Um, and I did not know the person being interviewed, although clearly she was some kind of celebrity. Uh, I don't know if she was a singer or an actress or, or what uh, she did, but um, obviously it was somebody who was culturally important. But what really caught my attention was the question that the interviewer asked this famous young lady. And, and the question was, what advice would you give young women? And this was her answer. Stop doing things for other people and start doing for you. The sooner you start living for yourself, the sooner you can put your gifts to work for you. And I thought, wow, that is secular humanism at its finest. That is scarily, that is what our culture embraces. It's all about 
you. You need to live your life for you. Don't let anybody tell you how to live. You are the boss. Unfortunately, that is about as far away from the heart of God as we can possibly get. So I want to open the chest cavity a little bit here. I'm going to ask you to consider a question. Is there something that you believe or a concept that you embrace that doesn't line up with the word of God? Is there something that the culture says is true, culture says is right, a belief or a concept that you embrace that simply doesn't line up with the word of God? Something for you to chew on. All right. Verses 32 uh, through 36 kind of come back to a common theme that you're going to see over and over throughout the Bible. And the theme is this. God keeps sending messengers to tell you the truth, to tell you about God. And now he sent his own son to tell you. And you don't believe them. Right? That's, that's this concept that you will see over and over again. I, God, am sending messengers to you. Now I've sent my son to you, and you don't listen. You don't believe what they say. You don't believe what my son is saying. I remember when I was a kid, uh, and that was a long time ago, right? Bumper stickers were popular back then. And I remember a bumper sticker. And I was not a Christian by the time, or, or by the way, when, when, I, when this bumper sticker was popular. Um, so I certainly didn't get it. But the bumper sticker said, God said it, I believe it, that's the end of it. Now, I'll be honest, I do think that we need to convey that message in a more loving way than that bumper sticker did. I don't think it was a very loving bumper sticker. But honestly, that position should be our own, right? If God says it, we should believe it, and that really should be the end of it. Now, I'll tell you, God is okay with wrestling with issues, all right, and needing help to understand his word. He is perfectly fine with that. He is a big boy. He can take any question you can throw at him, right? He will not shy away from wrestling with you over these issues, right? But not believing him is not an option if we want to be in right standing with him. So if there's something that you're disconnected with him on if there's some belief you have that doesn't line up with what he says he's okay with you working it out but he's not okay with you not believing that's that's not okay right it's gonna it won't it won't take away your salvation don't get me wrong if you're a christian you can't sin in any way your way out of your salvation but it will disconnect you from the father it will disconnect you from your relationship with him Okay. Imagine if one of your children, if you have children, imagine if one of your children just blatantly said, I don't really care what you say. I don't believe you. Is that going to affect your relationship with that kid? Of course it will. Right. It's the same thing with God. All right. <clears throat> so here is another, another twist for you to consider. It's kind of a similar question, but it's not exactly the same question. And this question for you to think about is, is there any part of the Bible that you do understand? You're not wrestling with it. You're, you, you're not, it's not something you're having hard comprehend, hard time comprehending. You understand exactly what the word says, but you still either don't believe or simply don't agree. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a real one here and I hope we don't have any little kids listening for just a moment. If they, if there's any little kids, grab them real quick, cover their ears just for a second. Um, perhaps you think, you know what? Um, I, I don't really think this whole uh, sex is reserved for only a man and woman in marriage thing is really the way it's supposed to be. I think it's okay to live with my boyfriend or whatever, or live with my girlfriend, or in other words, that sex outside of marriage is, is okay. That's not what the Bible says, right? So we all have to wrestle with that. Um, and by the way, it's not any easier uh, for a red-blooded heterosexual male or female to deal with that than it is someone who um, is a homosexual or some other sexual sin. This is, this is not easy for any of us. 
but it is exactly what the Bible says. So it's something we have to think about. So is there anything that you do understand, but you simply don't agree with? And if there is something like that, what are you going to do about that? What are you, what are you going to do with your relationship with God about that subject? Something for you to kick around. All right. <clears throat> Verse 35. This one's interesting. Um, and it's, it's kind of, reinforcing what we're talking about because verse 35 says that God the Father has placed everything in Jesus' hands. This, of course, includes the authority to perform miracles, drive out demons, and every other supernatural power of God. But this is important. It also includes the authority to be the ultimate messenger for God. In other words, if Jesus said it, God said it. So we could go back to that bumper sticker, God said it, I believe it, that's the end of it, and substitute Jesus in there. Jesus said it, I believe it, that's the end of it. Make sense? If Jesus said it, God said it. All right. Verse 36 is something of a reiteration of John 3.16. Last week, we covered probably the most famous verse in all the Bible. And here it is um, restated in a slightly different way, but it's critical for us to understand. Verse 36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Simply put, entry into heaven is as easy as believing in Jesus, but it is the only way to heaven. There's nothing else you have to do. You don't have to do any special works. You don't have to have any special education. You don't have to sacrifice your cows. You don't have to do any of that to get to heaven. But belief in Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. The path is clear. So for those of you who have not walked down that path, the question is, will you? Right? Here's the question, the big question to consider. Will you walk down that path? And for those of us who have, if you've already walked down the path, will you publicly proclaim that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Over and over in the scripture, it is so clear. If you believe the Bible's true, there is no way that you could possibly misunderstand, if you've read it, that there's another path to heaven other than Jesus. The word makes it clear. Whether we like it or not, right? All of us would love for there to be some other mechanism because there are people we care about who simply won't believe. And we love them and we want them to be in heaven, but the scripture is clear that isn't an option. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. All right. <clears throat> so I want to go back. I did, I kind of twisted the article I read you earlier. Um, and so I renamed it Seven Practical Ways to Keep Your Church Working Towards the Same Goal. Does it sometimes seem like the people in your church are working against each other? Here's how to keep them aligned for real kingdom impact. All right, remember the illustration of two horses working as a team? Pull more weight than three horses separately? Um, the truth is that Christianity is a, is a team effort, Right. Um, John the Baptist knew that, and he worked with the kingdom team for the glory of God, right? He didn't, he wasn't jealous of Jesus. He didn't try not to work with Jesus. He was, hey, I'm part of the team. I'm working together. And the truth is that we as a group will accomplish far more if we work together than if we all try to go out on our own. So here's how those seven initiatives from the Inc. article apply to our church. And I want you to think about this. Because I think, I think our initiatives are very, very clear. Number one, define a unified focus and direction shared by all. Our purpose at Steepolis is simple. Bring glory to God. That is our unified focus and direction. Bring glory to God. Number two was measure execution on a single strategy. Remember that? Our strategy at Steepolis is also simple. It's the Great Commission, leading the lost to Christ and then training them to be disciples. That's it. That's our strategy. 
lead the lost to Christ and train them to be disciples. Number three, improve a reporting structure, support. Now that one you might think, what in the world does that have to do with church? This is why we do what I call stories of encouragement uh, at the beginning. Like tonight, we talked about the trip this week to Costco. Remember that? Okay, letting everyone know how our evangelism opportunities are going at the beginning of our time together, what potential pitfalls we encountered, what successes we have, that's that reporting structure. That is the top down. That is us all understanding inside the organization, inside our church family, how do we do this thing and, and, and what's going well and what's not, all right? Number four was cross-functional co collaboration. Super, that's a buzzword in business today, cross-functional leadership, cross-functional collaboration. In other words, people working side by side together. Our goal at Steepolis is that everyone can share their testimony. Everyone can share the good news. Everyone can baptize. We all learn how to do it all. Does that make sense? We work together as a team. And all of us can sub for anybody else on the team. If Bob's sick, Susie can step in because we all know how to do it all, right? Number five, give people the right skills to deliver. This is why we have our message on Sunday. This is why we put call to action questions in the message guide. It takes time to do that, you know? Um, and and I uh, encourage you if you've never gone to that to that document, it's in. By the way, it's in the it's in the chat right now. You can still grab it um, and done the call to action questions. I, I encourage you to do that because that's how we develop the skills that we need to be able to follow the Great Commission. That's where they come from. All right. Number six was assure team alignment of values with company values. Well. Um, Obviously, we don't have a company, but we do have God. And so we look at every decision we make through the lenses of the Bible. Just stay in alignment with God. His values are our values. Hope that makes sense. Number seven, reward people for desired results. Now, I, I am uh, sad to say we aren't going to pay you um, for going out, uh, but we will, as a church family, celebrate victories, okay, as we encounter them. And I promise you, as we move down the path together, there are going to be many, many victories. There is a wind blowing of the Holy Spirit right now. Um, there is a lot of change happening in our world, especially here in our country. But there is also a real opportunity to have a real revival for the first time in a very long time, good things are coming, okay? So we will celebrate victories as a church, but I'm also gonna let the Holy Spirit kind of take care of this one because we know that God gives us immeasurable joy when we follow him and that we will, if we're obedient, receive the riches of Christ Jesus. Now, let me be clear, it's not normally in the form of money or material items, but God will bless you with riches that you can't even imagine if you will just follow the plan that he has for your life. I promise. And he does as well, by the way. All right. The Inc. Magazine article said that the biggest challenge for most companies is turning even a great vision into reality. If all your people and processes are not totally aligned, energies are wasted and things move too slowly to keep up with market and competitors, the future of your career and your company depends on it. The biggest challenge for our church is to help people overcome apathy and fear and get started with evangelism and discipleship. That's what slows us down. The biggest challenge for our church is to help people overcome the fear and apathy to get started with evangelism and discipleship. But the future of those we love and our community depend on it. They depend on us. So I want you to think about what your next steps might be. Many of you have been saved uh, and are well discipled. 
your next step may be to get on a team or even start a team. What ministry has Jesus given you a passion for? What's that fire that burns in your belly that you know you're supposed to be doing? If you're not sure what that looks like or how to take those next steps, I invite you, please contact me. I will help you work it out and figure out how to get that started. Some of you are saved, but honestly, you don't feel equipped yet to kind of step into the game. And if that's the case, I want to help you to get a mentor, someone who will help disciple you. It's critical for all of us to have those people in our lives. And for some of you, you don't yet know Christ. You don't know Jesus personally. Um, perhaps because you simply before now haven't believed in him. Um, or perhaps because that belief in Jesus was there, but you simply haven't made the commitment. You haven't accepted the free gift and committed your life to him. Um, you literally, if you wish to, could do that right now. Your future could change right now if you want it to. So I'm going to put that out there as well. If that's where you are, please reach out. I would love to help you take that step. All right. <clears throat> this is the time. If you have someone in your life that you would like for us as a family, as a church family to be praying for, please go to the chat bar and just type in their first name, Bob, Susie, whatever, just their first name so that we can be praying for that person or those people to receive salvation. There is no more powerful way to help your friends and family than corporate prayer, right? Praying yourself is terribly helpful. Please don't stop praying yourself for them. But having the rest of us pray for them, it's kind of like the horses thing, all right? Two of us praying together is far more powerful than one. And when three or four or 10 of us are praying, I promise you it will have an impact. It will have an impact on, um, on you, on your walk with God, and most important, of, of course, with the person that you're praying for. It will have an impact. All right, so um, as usual, this Thursday at 11, we do plan to go out and look for persons of peace and try to have some good conversations and, and help people get connected to this loving Savior we call Jesus. Um, if you're in our area, if you're in the greater Rockwall area, we would love to have you join us. Uh, if you're not, that doesn't mean you can't be part of this. We can still, we could, we would love to have you um, it, praying with us about the people we'll encounter. Um, and also, if you're not sure really what that looks like and would love to do it wherever you are, love to have that conversation with you and, and give you uh, so just some real practical tips on how to make that a reality. And quite frankly, it is, if you've never done it, it is so much easier than you think it is. Uh, and I promise you, it will not be intimidating. It's going to feel like you've done it your whole life because it won't make sense to explain it to you, but you have done it your whole life. Um, in fact, I'm going to real quick, I was, uh, I, I'm going to, oh, I better check. Um, I better check who's on this call before I tell the story real fast. Uh, well, I, uh, okay. So I was on a Zoom call like this and one person basically said, I have, I've never done that before. I'm totally intimidated by this idea of evangelizing. Uh, man, it just scares me to death. I can't, I don't even know where to start. Uh, and then later they were having a conversation on the same, on the, on, on the Zoom call with someone who wasn't yet a Christian and, and they were just asking questions, making conversation like, Hey, you know, so-and-so I really, I care about you. Where, where, kind of, where are you with, with Jesus? What's, what's happening in your life? Um, and after that conversation ended, I stopped the person and I said, hey, do you realize that you were just evangelizing? And the person said, no, 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 I was just talking to them about, you know, I didn't know kind of where they were, you know, with this whole God thing. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. That, that's evangelizing. That's, that's doing it. You were, he said, well, I just love this person. And it happened, they were related. They were relatives. He said, well, I just love this person. I just, I just care about them. And I'm like, yeah, you nailed it. That's it. That's evangelism. This is this is not 
intended to be scary, all right? So I just encourage you, if you've not done that, uh, we would love to have you engage. And by the way, thank you. I'm seeing names in the chat. That That is awesome. Thank you for, um, for helping us with that. We will definitely be praying for those folks this week. I'm going to go ahead and close this now and uh, pray for pray for some of these. Let's see, is there anyone? Okay, so some of them I can pray for. All right, so Lord, thank you. Thank you so much, um, first of all, for this clear illustration, this conversation between John the Baptist and, um, and his disciples. It helps us so much, Lord, when we can see how people who you recorded in your word struggle with things just like we do, and they misunderstand things just like we do, but how you make it so clear and how your heart is so pure and you, you just want us to love people. You just want us to, to put ourselves out there and put others before ourselves and just follow you because you do great things through us when we do that. Lord, I, I pray specifically uh, for Brittany. I pray specifically for Hardeen and Zach or Jordan. I'm not sure how to pronounce that name, but you do, Lord. You do that. Every hair on that person's head and Matt and Jade, Lord. And there are several other people who I won't name because they were asked not to, but um, Lord, you know those names that are on that screen right now. You know the person that I'm praying for. You don't just know of them, you know them and you love them. You love them so much that you sent your son for them. Or that's just unfathomable to those of us who have children and, and probably those of us who don't, that you would send your son for us. I thank you so much for that. And Lord, like I said earlier, that, that should be enough. That should be enough that we should give every moment of every day for the rest of our lives to you because you've done that for us. Lord, I pray that you would give us courage and strength and fortitude and enthusiasm and everything we need, the wisdom, the knowledge, the power, all of the things that we need to carry out the amazing life that you have planned for us, Lord. I pray that you would give us those things and be generous with those things with us, Lord. And that we would claim the promises that you have for us so that we really can be your hands and feet, that we really can experience not just your love, but your power here on earth as it will always be in heaven. It's in your son's precious name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, I want to thank each and every one of you. We are right at the end of our time together. Um, I promise next week will be fun as well. We're going to take on a totally new topic. We're going to turn a corner uh, and, and, and talk about something, something that I think you'll enjoy. So join us again next week. Uh, again, we invite you to contact us through our website or, or through the texting app, or if you have my personal information, call me, text me, whatever you like. We love you, and we'll see you next week. Take care.